All right, guys, we have a very special announcement. It's official. The Bases Loaded Pod is joining the Roto Baller Radio Podcast Network. A little bit about Roto Baller. Since 2013, Roto Baller has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy addicts their fix with player news and cutting edge fantasy analysis. If you didn't know, Roto Baller's 2020 MLB draft kit is already live. Roto Baller's premium draft kit includes exclusive access to 15 draft tools, including printable cheat sheets for every single possible league type. I'm talking mixed leagues, points, head-to-head, dynasty, roto, AL only, NL only, you name it, they've got it. Roto Baller's premium draft kit includes exclusive access to 15 draft tools. These draft tools include printable cheat sheets for every single possible league type. I'm talking mixed leagues, points leagues, head-to-head, roto, dynasty, AL or NL only, you name it, they've got it. They also offer rankings and projections from the number one most accurate industry expert, Nick Mariano. Not to mention access to their exclusive rankings wizard. Like I said, there's 15. Those are just three. So there's so much more to check out. For a limited time, get your MLB premium pass for 50% off. But wait, it does actually get better. Right now, you can get an additional 10% off if you use promo code BASESLOADED. Just visit rotoballer.com slash BASESLOADED to sign up for your premium pass today so you can dominate your leagues tomorrow. Is loaded and one out. Oh my Central God! Deep to right field, way up there and way out of here. Second deck walk off home run. Grand slam. Hello and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bases Loaded. Bases Loaded is a fantasy baseball podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Curland. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike underscore Curland. And tonight, I am joined by George. It is Roto underscore Nino, not Jay Montanez. I still mess it up. I, you know what? You know what it is, George? It's been a year of me just do, doing that, you know? Yeah. The whole Jay Montanez 90. I'm like, no, it is artist formerly known as. Now it is Roto underscore Nino. Nobody yeah, cares you about just, <laughs> you've gotten used to me. it. <laughs> Nobody cares about me messing it up. We get it. We'll move past it. Now, this is episode 77, and we've been having just so many guests, and we actually have one more coming on tomorrow which that podcast will drop another day but regardless we're gonna we're gonna keep the guests coming but we're gonna get back to kind of do our own thing and this is our way of getting back into it and we're jumping right back into the second base rankings risers fallers and sleepers at the, at the position we already did our positional preview so if you want to listen back on that it was earlier in the offseason we wanted to get ahead of everybody else doing them so now we're just talking about a few names that are moving up our rankings moving down our rankings and just highlight a few sleepers at the position because Everybody does sleeper lists as a whole. I like to make sure we give sleepers at each position if possible. And I thought doing it this year this way was the perfect way to do it. So yeah, it was- yeah. This is good to have us like kind of look at look at more players than we would have normally looked at. But uh, before we get started, man, I just want to say congratulations on being nominated for the FSWA award. Uh, <sighs> congrats to all the, the people who won. But hey, man, just the fact that you were nominated just – Congratulations! That, that's still like that's still really good, man. I, no, I'm I, proud to have to be a part of Bases Loaded, where you are, you know, doing awesome things out there. So, you mean Bases Loaded, the podcast hosted by an award panelist? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, man. In all seriousness, first off, it was an enormous shock. I guess I'll address it now because it's not a huge deal, but it was a it was an actual like a huge enormous shock to even be a finalist. And then once it sunk in, I'm like, I gotta win this thing. 
Like that's all that in my head because it's just a competitive nature. Me, I'm like, I gotta win it. Like, I truly am happy to have even been a finalist. I'm truly am happy that these guys. You know, the, um, it was Mike Alexander, I believe, mm-hmm. at Road Owners were one. Smart guy, great guy, great competition. Like nothing wrong with losing to him. I just the competitor in me. I, I just you know it's not natural to enjoy losing. Like nothing about losing is fun. It's 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 the worst feeling. So I was really bummed out tonight. Obviously, no big deal. Not one of those things that's like, oh, I should have won. I mean, obviously, I'm always going to feel that way, but I don't want to take away from them winning because they obviously deserved it. It just all did was make me want to push myself further. Now, I bought, what, the process from Jeff Zimmerman. I'm going to go out and buy the baseball forecaster. Like, I'm going to take what I'm going to try to take in all this information and just put it into my writing and hopefully take the next step into where next year we're revisiting this and I'm a winner. That's all, that's all it did. It, it helped motivate me more. And I know I'm a busy man, I know I do a lot. And I truly enjoy doing it, but coming this close to, and not winning, albeit my first year writing, I get that it's a, it's a huge like a huge deal to some people. But to me, it's like now I expect it. You know, I expect to be. I expect I have to be better now because I set these expectations for myself. So uh, it's a long way of saying thank you, George. I do truly appreciate you <laughs> acknowledging it. But it's just like it's just frustrating. You know, I've been venting behind the scenes. Like I just I just want. I just want more. Like it's just nice. who I, it's just what I want. It's just who I am. I think it's n- normal and natural to be upset, but then at the same time think, you know what? Let's let's try to win it next time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, year one in this man, that's that's awesome. So, I mean, if anything, if it just gave you you know that added motivation, it's given me that motivation. Seeing you being nominated, I'm like, hey, I want to be up there. You know, <laughs> next season, next year. You know, so yeah, uh, for sure. And speaking of winners, man, how how about the Dodgers getting Mookie Betts? Well, you know, that transitions right into <laughs> that transitions right into things. Good, good job on that one. It's that trade as a whole, man. Is just so much going on there. It's like, where do you even start? I guess right at the top, Mookie Betts being a Dodger. What are your feelings on that? What do you feel as far as a fantasy out, outlook goes? Oh man, uh, I mean, you know, he's going to be hitting at the top of the lineup. Um, I honestly don't move him down too much. I think I might be a little more inclined to maybe take um, maybe take a Francisco Lindor ahead of him now, uh, but I maybe knock him down like just a couple spots. Uh, really, not not too much further for me. It was funny because the initial reaction, like without thinking twice, I was like, "Oh, I'll totally like I want him fourth overall now," and then I realized I'm with. I think I think de- definitely Ballinger moves ahead of him. It, it it becomes between like that whole story Lindor bets group. I think I might still exactly. lean. I still I think I think I might still lean bets for the the floor you know you're getting, and that you know being part of that lineup is never a bad thing. But I yeah the park not the park itself. I think center field. I remember seeing Max Freeze. I think it was Max Freeze talking about on Twitter that center field is actually beneficial to him as far as a, as when you look at the hits that he put into center field last year. A lot he would have had more home runs and some of those outs would have turned into doubles or, or home runs as well. It looks like something along those lines he was talking about, which was which was awesome to see. But then you take the fact that he's leaving that division, which is like by far a better hitters division, because he goes from hitting in the AL East, which again I think almost every park is a top twenty or top fifteen park factor park for you know for right handed hitters. So now he's gonna take that and yes, we'll get to see him hit it in cores, which is fun. Yeah. But but you're talking about San Francisco, San Diego, Arizona, you know, 50-50, that ever since they did the whole, uh, what's the thing with the ball? The when humidor. They, thank mm-hmm. you. They did the whole humidor. That kind of knocks some juice out of the ball. So 
he loses, you know, anything he did gain from, you know, from moving to LA, he kind of loses there. And then how much does he really need to run in front of, in that lineup? You know, I mean, will he run? Sure. I expect him to get, you know, 15 or so steals, but I just feel like there's a, I don't know, there's maybe a ceiling on the running because they don't, they won't need to manufacture runs. I don't know. At the end of the day, it's a slight tick down, but it's nothing that's like, oh my God, I'm worried type of thing. So, yeah. And I want to reiterate before we move on is we're going to talk about this trade and we're going to talk about the bigger, the bigger parts that move, not necessarily every little part, but definitely the bigger parts that we like the most. So anyway, <laughs> you're about to say something and I cut you off and I'm getting really good at that. So, Oh no, no, no. I was just going to move on here from bets and oh, look at what all the other moving pieces here in, in I mean, this trade uh, price price to LA. <laughs> That's the next one. He went right. He, I mean, sticking to might as well stay with the Dodgers and Price went to the Dodgers as well. And you got to think there's a little bit of, I personally think there's a little bit of value gained here because he's going from the AL to the NL and an yeah. easier division as a whole. Actually, these are good. He might get a little bump up my rankings the more I think about it because then the same reasons why you you knock bets down is the same reason why you, you push Price up. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> think. I think this was a good trade overall for all these pitchers involved. Um, I mean, with, with Price, yeah, he actually didn't pitch too bad last season. I know he, uh, you know, injury is a concern. I think he only pitched, what, uh, around 100 innings last season. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm with you, though. Good move to the NL on a good team. So, I think it's a slight uh, bump for, for Price. Did the Red Sox only get Verdugo and Gratterall? Did I miss something there? No, I believe – yeah, no, I believe they, they got – it was just Verdugo and, and Gratterall. And, um, yeah, Verdugo, I mean, at least he's now guaranteed, you know, everyday playing time there in, in Boston. And uh, I'm not so sure about the park factors for him because I think um, – I do know it's a slightly – you know, it's not a great park for, for left-handed hitters. But, uh, I mean, he's going to be hitting at the top of the lineup. And, I mean, hey – just the, the volume that he's going to get there, I mean, that's that's a boost. I mean, he only had, you know, 377 plate appearances with the Dodgers last season. So we'll see what he could do there in, in Boston. But I, I like the move for him. Verdugo is what Verdugo is, I feel like, at this point. Verdugo as a whole, though, I'm, I have a couple of friends that are really excited about him. I think the value goes up strictly based on playing time alone, obviously. But it's still a profile that doesn't really spark excitement. But, yes – he is a he would be currently a value if you look at the ADP. I think it's like two fifty ish something like that. Yeah. If you look at the ADP, there's value there. That's going to move up significantly. He'll be a top two hundred pick, close maybe even close to one fifty, which would be a mistake if he goes that high. But he might be. I mean, I just don't see how. I mean, you look at some of the names going to that area. I think it's like Max Kepler and stuff still falls over into that area. Sano even at times. I just don't see myself taking a Verdugo over him, but I could see between you, you know, adding the Boston Shine and the full time playing time, and you know, people are gonna look at the stats he put up prior to injury last year and remember how good he was, and you can just see it going that direction, you know. I'm not sure where his ADP is. Uh, I, I didn't look it up either. I mean, yeah, so his ADP was a uh, 227. I look at him now, and I look at him similar to someone like like Brian Reynolds, who's going maybe 50 picks ahead of him. Uh, Brian Reynolds is someone that I like a ton. And now Verdugo in Boston, I think, can put up, you know, similar numbers. Uh, he's, you know, could hit around 300. and say a higher ceiling maybe, though. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, think, I think at this point I might actually rather have Verdugo than 
than someone like Brian Reynolds, um, who did amazing things last season in, in Pittsburgh. But now, I mean, that, that lineup is getting depleted. Um, and now, you know, you move Verdugo over to, to Boston, hitting around, uh, you know, J.D. Martinez and uh, Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts. And I like it. I like it a lot. So I think, um, yeah, he's, he's going to be a good, good source of batting average and uh, won't, you know, he'll chip in some, a few steals and, you know, maybe get close to 20 home runs, 15 to 20 home runs. So that's, that's not a bad player. And that's that we we're going to beat the dead horse into the ground at this point. So <laughs> I think we're good with Verdugo real quick on Gratterall, a highly touted prospect at one point. I know he was a top, I mean, top 100 guy, at least at the top 50, even I think in some ranks at one point. And you look at it and it's, there's tremendous K upside, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions to be had and I'm not sure if, is, is he even going to be a starter? I mean, you got to think they're going to try him as a starter first, but. I don't know. I mean, I like. I think I like the idea of Gratterall, but I'm not sure I'm sold on Gratterall. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. He's he only had nine innings in relief last season for the Twins. So, I mean, he did perform really well in in Double A. Uh, fifty two innings. He had a one seven one one seven one ERA in uh, fifty two innings in Double A for the Twins. So, like you said, uh, a, a highly touted prospect uh, going to Boston now. So, uh, we'll see what they what he can do there. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know right now, really. That's really all there is to say. People are upset about the return, and I think they could have, they should have gotten a little more, but it's hard when you have, they, I I don't know, I think didn't the Dodgers take the whole price contract? Do you know that, my James? I believe it was half. Half? Yeah, I think so. I don't remember. That's why I was asking. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. So when money gets involved, it, it diminishes the return of your prospects and stuff. So getting Verdugo as part of it and Gratterall is also a nice little return as well. I feel like they just missed one. I feel like they needed one more part to make it a better deal. It came up mm. a little light. It came up a little light for me. But the part that I feel like is like underrated and like my favorite part is the Angels return. How the Angels got Stripling and Jock Peterson out of this deal is the best part. Well, I guess and Kent Tomatoes are the twins. Those are kind of really kind of interesting parts to this. Because I don't see – all the Angels had to give up was what? Luis Rangifo? That was the only guy they gave up in this deal somehow? Right, yeah. They they gave up <laughs> Rangifo, who's going to just be maybe a, maybe a part-time utility player for the Dodgers. And – I feel like this was more of a move for the Dodgers to go ahead and, and clear up some some space like in their rotation and uh, make a you know one of the big one of the big benefactors here is uh, Gavin Lux. I mean now you clear that first base spot and for the Dodgers and you can move Muncie back over to first base. You open up that second base spot for Gavin Lux. So I think Ga- uh, Gavin is a, a big winner here. And then, um, like you said, Peterson and, and Stripling, that, I mean, works out for them too. Peterson's going to go over there and, you know, he, he's going to start every game against righties. And, I mean, they, Stripling, uh, I know you're a big Stripling fan. Yeah, and yes. You might have something to say about Stripling. I love Stripling. Uh, the thing about Jock real quick is that people, a lot of people might not realize, or if you weren't really paying attention last year, the Angels lowered right field, the right field fence. Because it was, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember how much. I think they might have even cut it in half. Like it was legitimately like a hindrance. So I think they just tried to help out their hitters a little bit and cut and drop the fence lower. And with that, the idea, it, it was supposed to help their, you know, their left-handed pull hitters. That is literally what Jack Peterson is. Jack Peterson, <laughs> yeah. Peterson can hit, hit 40 this year and it wouldn't surprise me. 
it's going to be very interesting. I like him. I mean, his value for me stays the same because I don't really expect him to get more playing time by any means. But the fact that it's just more cheap power, which is it's kind of an underrated need with how speed is getting pushed up. Sometimes you forget to you forget about your power needs, and he's a guy you can fall back on for good cheap power. And Ross Stripling, that's a guy that at one point I think I have to actually look at my. You know what? I have my rankings up. Let's pull up my rankings real quick. Where did I have him? My initial rankings like two months ago already. Jeez, it's been. I feel like it's been that long. I've had him at the rankings a while ago. I had Stripling at seventy, and that was aggressive back then. Like, he might now be 70. I was actually foreseeing him as a starter. Yeah. So, I'm, I was ahead of the curve, so to speak, probably. But I think that's going to be kind of where he might be ranked, if assuming, assuming he gets a spot. But, the, okay, now, before I get too excited, I got to admit, the Angels have a six-man rotation. So, that, that right there limits him to, what, maybe 150, 160 innings. But in today's game, that if it's quality innings, I'll take that all day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think in today's game more than – more than any time, you know, you're, you're looking for quality uh, over quantity at this point. The issue remains, though, as in a six-man rotation, assuming that that's what they roll with, he loses value in weekly leagues. So he is more of your daily league guy or weekly league if he has a really strong start, but he loses a lot of value in weekly leagues. Assume, again, we're, I'm assuming it's a six-man rotation because that's what they've been speaking of this whole time. What this speaks to is possibly the health of Otani, though, as well. So I'm wondering, like, I'm waiting to see some stuff about Otani, but overall, last I mean, last two years, I feel like, I mean, you look at Stripling's numbers the last two years, it's just been solid. Low to mid threes ERA, over a K per inning. The the pitches are good, too. He has, like, two or three solid pitches. Like, I just, there's so much to like about him. I don't know. I I, I, I could really break him down a lot, but that's going to hold us up from getting to the, you know, the content so all in all i guess my point being is that he you can get him as an sp5 for your fantasy teams but stripling can actually provide you probably upwards of an sp3 potential per game type of thing like on a per game basis because again that innings limit and the potential you know start limit as a whole limits him in general but i think he can offer you sp3 upside while giving you at least a back-end sp5 for your fantasy teams this year so i really like ross stripling and i'm probably gonna have a lot of shares and uh, depend again depends on how his price shoots up because I really like his stuff. So that's gonna I think that does it. I mean, so yeah, oh, Kent uh, Maeda. You, uh-huh. I was to say Kent Maeda is the last piece of this deal we haven't spoken about. We've broken down this trade way more than I expected, which is fine. But what are your thoughts of this? Is the last part, last big name that moved was Kent Maeda to the Twins. Briefly mentioned it before, but what are your thoughts on it now? Maeda was someone that I really liked already before. You know, this the question was you know, they're going to put him in the bullpen, you know, in, in August again, how many innings are you going to get? But I mean, when he's out there, he's, he's got good stuff, good, a, a lot of good swing and miss stuff. So I like the move. If he's going to get that secure, you know, rotation spot with the twins and the twins don't necessarily have the same depth that the Dodgers do in, in their rotation. And so I think there's a good chance we see Maeda uh, at least, you know, get more starts or, or a few more innings than he would have in, in Los Angeles. So, yeah, and then obviously that division is, is a good division to, to pitch in, the AL Central, and he's on on probably the best team there, you know. So it's a little bit of a neutral move, but I, I like it. You know, it's, it's, I think it's a, just a slight bump. Yeah, and I, I, do, I do realize, like, I was a little quick to say I want all the shares now, but because, again, I realized as well that, he's moving from the NL to the AL and usually it's a bad thing because now he doesn't mm-hmm. get the pitcher. 
but I am optimistic that this this Twins team does not need to cut money. So if they are competitive and he is running along, just you know, cruising along, pitching well, I think Maeda will get those innings because I know that the Dodgers were just big on manipulating the innings to where Maeda wasn't going to get paid. And that's all because the way his contract structure is really funky. He has pretty much innings pitch uh, tiers as, as he hits them, he gets paid more or whatever. So mm-hmm. I don't see the Twins needing to cut back on money, especially if it's, you know, for a year or two. They, they can afford it. They're, they're, other than Josh Donaldson, they really don't pay anybody, you know? So Maeda, it's, it's, it's iffy. I think it's a slight – but like you said, I am with you. I think it's a slight increase in value. But I'm I'm hoping I'm wondering how crazy people are gonna go and I I might get stuck being priced out on them because I think there's always gonna be somebody more bought into the situation than I am entering drafts. Yeah. So that's cool. the so, that that's that's the trade. I don't know if there's any other <laughs> thoughts you want to put about it. We've talked no. about it longer than I anticipated, but it's fine because it was good stuff. But there is one more piece of news before we get started with second base, our rate rankings, risers, followers, and all that good stuff. Um, I'm defeated. Like, I was just really starting to buy in on James Paxton. And now James Paxton had – I have it written down. Let me find the exact wording before I just butcher it because that's what I was going to do anyway. James Paxton <laughs> – James Paxton underwent microscopic lumbar dissectomy and is expected to be sidelined three to four months. Insert yeah. sigh here. Like, he's just – it's so frustrating because I was just buying back in. I was like, you know what? I expect 150 solid innings out of him. And – my concern was obviously injury. I hate the fact that he's going to be coming off, you know, coming into the start of the year, already coming off an injury that doesn't leave him room to get hurt anymore. <laughs> like that's where the yeah. issue that. And then of course the potential for a slow start because he misses off spring training as he ramps up, yada, yada. It's just, you know what I mean? Like I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of out on him now, but it's like, how low can I rank him? Like I'm going to start throwing, I'm going to give you some would you rather after you give your thoughts on the situation. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, Paxton, he's not someone I've been targeting just because of this, this risk. Uh, you know, I, you, you look at three to four months out three to four months and that puts us in June, but realistically, I think you got to put like at least another month on top of that. So I wouldn't expect Paxton back till at least after the all-star break. So you might get 70 to 80 innings out of Paxton this year. And that's if he, there's no setbacks, like you said, it's if he can, you know, remain healthy. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really tough loss. Cause, ah, oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, okay, well, let's be a little, more, let's be a little more optimistic. Let's say so we're in February. So February, March, April, May, you have to count February. February is still pretty much a whole month. So we'll say, so we even say June, that would put yeah you're right if you take that's the problem you're giving you're you're adding a whole nother month let's not add the other month you say he comes back in may beginning of june so it gives him june through september that is what june july august that's four months he can get 100 plus innings in those four months right yeah in theory so we'll give him 100 innings like i said names that are kind of similar like do you rather have him or matt kopech uh, mac <laughs> michael <laughs> michael kopech Matt Kopech, I don't know who that is. Probably a great guy. But Michael Kopech or James Paxton? Uh, the thing is, I honestly, I don't even think I would draft Paxton right now. I mean, it, it really would depend on well, your I'm, league. I'm, I'm putting him 
Kopech has fallen because of the whole he's not starting in the rotation, looks like, type of thing. So it's like, as he falls, you think Paxton's going to come. Paxton's not going to make it that far. <laughs> like, like, people are going to probably take him around the, without thinking about it, probably. I, I can see Paxton going around, like, the top 50, still inside the top 50. And I personally can't give anybody that's only going to pitch maybe 100, maybe 100 innings, you know, because we're talking maybe. I don't think I'm ever, I don't think I'm going to have Paxton in my top 50, which sounds like a, sounds like it's crazy, but. I'm with you. It's like I'm not gonna. I just don't want to take a pitcher that's gonna be missing half the almost half the year. Right. I mean, you're gonna have another Luis Severino situation, oh. you know. Oh. <laughs> and that's oh. not what. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not even gonna go there. Gotcha. So I'm not gonna play the would you rather game because it's pretty much any any pit, insert pitcher name here and you'll take them over him. Gotcha. <laughs> you rather you rather have Dallas Keuchel? Okay. Oh um, man. Don't, uh, don't, no. Don't don't say yes to that. Stop it. Stop it. I refuse. I'd rather take 100 innings of Paxton versus 175 of Keuchel's very, very mediocre, bland innings. No, I mean, if we're getting to, like, maybe, like, past pick 250 and Paxton's still out there, uh, like that's I said, depending. Happen, yeah, that, that, that's where I would be comfortable taking him. But, like, inside the top 250, I'd rather take a chance on, like, let's say, like, Mitch Keller. Uh, who else is here? Uh, Joey Lucchese, Caleb Smith, uh, Griffin Canning. Yeah, I'd rather take all of them you know right now. I'm going to be optimistic. The more I think about it, it says three to four months. And normally th- you play on the back end of that four months. But what if he comes back in three months? So you're looking at February, March, April. So he's back for May. If he's back in May, you may, like whoever like, if he falls that far and you're passing on him, like I, most leagues, I mean, if it's a 15-team league, I'm always risk-adverse like that. So in a deeper format, I'm not going to take him because I'm going to pass on better value probably or mm-hmm. like safer value at that at wherever he's going. But in a 12-team league or shallower, I'll take him and stash him on my DL because he's better than anything else you're going to pick up off the waiver wire more than likely at, by the time he returns, you know. It's not – Sure. It's, so I think like I, it, go, it always goes back to roster construction and uh, mm-hmm. format and depth and all that, like what your comfort level is with the risk and all that. So – because if he comes back in May, you're looking at upwards of pretty much McCullers type of year as far as 120 innings. And if they, they go back to back, that's pretty, it'd be really funny because it's almost like, hey, look, we're doing this McCullers or Paxton argument again from two or three years ago. Hey, that might not be a bad idea. You, you take McCullers and then, you, you know, you take Paxton and then you have one starting off the season and the other one to finish it. Yeah, it well, might you're, not be you're such hoping. A bad idea. You're hoping, hoping, right? Yeah. Because the, <laughs> I mean, you know, if it works out like that's a bad combination for one roster spot. <laughs> that would be fun. That's yeah, something we right. doing a shallower format because in a deeper format, it's harder to do that. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, okay, we can move on now. Um, that So that was the Paxton news, and you can hear that we're both kind of down on them for the most part, which everybody should be, but we'll see. I mean, I, we'll have a clear outline as spring training comes along. So just honestly, you got to keep stick with us, and we'll update you as we find out. Um, <laughs> all right, on that note, We're going to go ahead and take a brief break and we'll be right back with you after a word from our sponsors. And we're back. So second base rankings, rankings, risers, fallers, and sleepers at the position. I enjoy doing these because again, we're up. This is our quick and abbreviated way of updating our ranks essentially. But Mm -hmm. instead of just writing it, because we do, we do update them through fan tracks. We also get to discuss them. For me, right at the top, my biggest riser as far as like the top guys, I put Ozzy Albies at right at one, and I didn't even think twice. Wow! Am I am I crazy? 
<laughs> you're not crazy. I, I wouldn't say you're crazy at all. I, I don't have LB's one, but I mean, I think that that top, like that top five, maybe the top four, actually, uh, four or five is like one tier. And so, yeah, I, I can't, I can't fault you for, for having Albies at, at one, not at all. Um, I have him third. I have him behind Altuve and Marte, but I mean, that's, that's not too far behind there. And so, I mean, and the reason I have like Marte ahead of him is just because um, Albies, Albies did still have those righty splits where those reverse splits where he wasn't great against righties and, and Marte, Marte doesn't. <laughs> and, and they're so close that really that's what it came down to for me. Which, which is what should give you some form of optimism because even with the rough splits, he still put up such a great year. So I don't know. I think my reason for Albies is it's really simple. You're looking at a guy who hit, he hit in the back end of the order for, for a good part of last year. And he still gave you 24 home runs, 15 stolen bases, and 102 runs. And the reason why he's number one for me, this is strictly categories of Roto Leagues. If this was points, I'm going to put Marte back at one, Altuve at two. I'm just a little higher on Marte. I'm probably isn't the, I should probably put Altuve at one in points, but regardless, those two would be a clear different. Those two would actually be a clear one-two for me in points, whereas – I'm look. We look at we do our ranks more based on a roto category format, and the steals are just such a big part for me. And you're looking at a guy who doesn't strike out a lot, doesn't doesn't he doesn't walk as much as you'd like, but he still walks relatively like solid, at least seven like seven percent most of the time. Yeah. So it's like you're looking at a guy that just makes a lot of contact, should hit for a decent batting average, and give you solid steady production across most categories outside of RBIs. With that said. Again, the need for speed is there, and he offers he offers such a solid output potential, Albies that is, at such a premium position in second base. I just love taking him. I'll take him in the third round and kind of just bank his production because we're talking back-to-back seasons with 24 home runs, 100 runs, 14 or more steals with 70 or so RBI. Like, that's what you should be getting. The average is going to be interesting because the average has fluctuated, but he's always been a high average hitter in the minors. He hit for 295 last year. It's just like – I'm elaborating way more than I need to on my first guy, but I just think that there's a lot more safety here and still potential for, for even growth because, like you mentioned, if he hits right, he's a little better. He's only 23 years old, so to say to project, to project the fact that he's not going to grow as a hitter and be a better hitter would be foolish to assume. But you, I feel like he's coming he comes with this floor with such a potential to be better. It's just like I was like, yeah, I'll put him at one, and I won't even think twice, and I've drafted him – in that way like I've drafted him over Altuve and Marte could I be wrong because like you said yes that is a one that is one big tier at the top I agree Mm -hmm. I think I I think I have four or five names up there but when it comes to Albies I just feel so confident in the floor and again those steals really do make the difference for me when you're talking about these guys because the top five all offer the same or similar stats but he has he has a difference making stat in those steals yeah yeah absolutely I'm done (laughs) Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and, and um, go with my first riser here. Yeah. Uh, one of the guys that I moved up uh, was uh, Starlin Castro. And this is just so much – this was more of me kind of just looking deeper into, into the stats and, and everything uh, since, we, since we initially did our rankings. And Castro kind of stands out to me in that over the last three seasons – he's improved his plate discipline. I mean, he, or he's, he's improved his contact rate 
So he's made better contact over the last three seasons, year over year, and he's improved his launch angle, uh, reducing his ground ball rate. So uh, Castro, and it kind of kind of completely went over my head that he actually had a really good second half, hitting 302 with 16 home runs last season uh, on the second half. Now he goes to a better lineup in Washington. Uh, I don't know how the park factors change in Miami, but I got to think that it's probably a better park as well. So, I mean, Castro, and I, I did, you know, we, you can go into, you know, baseball savant and do those, you know, rolling uh, averages graphs and, and stuff like that. And I, I looked at his ground ball rate over the, over basically over the course of his career. And he put together four months of the, you know, he put together a four month average uh, ground ball rate uh, to end the season uh, lower than any other four months in, in his career. So I think he's buying into, you know, the raising the ball more and, and uh, you know, hitting more line drives and, and fly balls. So I like that. I, I think that he's someone who can hit 280 and give you 20 to 25 home runs. And I think where he's going, that's, that's valuable. And he's going to have second base and third base eligibility. So he's one of the guys that I moved up um, in, in my rankings here. Yeah, and I think you and I were the only ones that had him cracking the top 30, which was crazy mm-hmm. to me, and as far as fan tracks goes in our uh, ADP. Yeah, because I moved Castro up into my, into my 20s as well, just outside my top 25, because I saw, you know, you saw you mentioned everything, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But my first um, – I don't know my first follower, sorry. We're not followers yet. My uh, my next risers, it's hard because I, I was already high on Brandon Lowe. So it's like I want to I want – he's the guy I want to rise. I want to put him higher, but I can't. I just did a deep dive on him. I love him. But I guess looking at this, I, I did move up DJ LeMayhew. And I think that was just me being too low on him initially. Mm-hmm. Such a, I think and it goes back to just such a high, solid floor. He's a Ozzy Albies light, essentially. Like, like he's like every stat I mentioned for Albies, LeMayhew should give you. Just I feel like he – I mean, maybe he can give you a few more home runs because it's Yankee Stadium. And if the ball remains juiced – I think the the swing change because he exhibited a lift a uh, little more lift in his swing last year, so it gave him a little extra you know loft in the ball, which allowed him for more balls to go out of the park. Obviously, so I think just that added little there's a little more power there. But he's pretty much essentially an Albies. He's going to give you the runs. He's going to give you some home runs, some steals, and a good batting average. It's like and obviously leading off, you can't bank on more than 75 to 80 RBI even in that lineup because it's a leadoff guy doesn't usually hit that much. So. With that said, I just I, I found myself too low on LeMahieu and I moved him up. He's seventh in my ranks, and he's just outside the top five. We've been we've been discussing the top five, and we both I think agree of the in this top of this top five in that in some form of an order: Albies, Catal uh, Marte, Jose Altuve, Glaber Torres, Kisten Hira, and then mm-hmm. I have and then personally I have Jonathan VR just ahead of LeMahieu because of the steals. But LeMahieu yeah. LeMahieu is seven for me now, whereas he was like ten or eleventh for me before. So. He's my next. He is my next riser. Who's your next riser? My next riser, for the most part, I kept like the guys like in like my top ten or so, like kind of the same. Uh, another riser kind of falls into the sleeper category as well, but I, I moved him up pretty significantly. Is Seattle second baseman Shed Long? Yeah, I I moved him up when you know they announced that uh, he's going to go into the season as the primary second baseman. And so Shedlong did some good things to end the season. He he led off for the final 17 games in, in September, and he hit uh, 296. He slashed 296, 342 OBP, and a 521 slugging. 
uh, with three home runs and five doubles. So he, he ended the season strong. And I think he's someone who, I mean, despite, you know, a bad lineup there, if he's going to lead off, take over that second base job, I think he can hit for a decent average, like maybe 270 and hit, you know, up to 20 home runs and still you 10, still you 10 bases. So yeah, Shed Long is someone I like taking a chance on in, in deeper leagues uh, there because he's, he's going so late. Uh, let's see where Shed Long is going. He is going up 516 in NFC. Yeah, and I the you finally you 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 eventually circle around to it, but I was going to mention the sneaky speed there. So I'm glad you got to that part because that's where that's where some of the value is again in him. And I I find myself liking Shed Long as well. And as we were speaking, I actually entered Shed Long into my top 30 and moved my first faller out. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are we ready to talk about fallers? Because I actually have one more riser. So I moved Shed Long into my top 30 just now. I will discuss who fell out of it in a moment, but my last riser that I want to mention is Carter Keboom. Uh-huh. And this is strictly based on potential and upside because there's talks that even though, you know, they signed as dribble Cabrera, they signed Castro, the nationals did. I'm talking about, obviously they have Eric Thames. Now they have Ryan Zimmerman. It's crowded. I get it. And obviously those are two first basemen, so it shouldn't matter. But the last two Cabrera and Castro, there's talks about Cabrera being almost like a super utility and Keyboom getting a chance to be the everyday third baseman uh, starting the year. So I just want to be a little more aggressive on them. Grab them right now before, you know, things get going. Because you know what? Another guy that's obviously risen on both ranks, I feel like shouldn't, shouldn't go without saying, maybe you want to talk about more, is Gavin Lux. I think you mentioned him at the top of the show. Yeah. So you have Gavin Lux, who's he's going to jump up 80. I mean, he was already ranked pretty aggressively for a guy with an unknown job. I think now that there's more of a chance of a position to start the year as far as like a job at the beginning of the year. You're going to see Gavin Lux jump up ranks. Well, keep him could be the next guy to do that. And right now I'm trying to get ahead of the train. So because of that, I'm trying to get ahead of that whole hype train that's going to circle him once spring training starts and he cranks a few home runs and is getting everyday starts over Cabrera. Like, I feel like this is just one of those preemptive, I'm being aggressive on him. And if it doesn't work out at his price, it's okay because it's not going to kill me. Yeah, and that, that's a good call because that that's a, pretty much how I've been on Lux. Um, all off season, uh, I've been right there. Basically, I had no hesitation taking him at his ADP, uh, just based on the skill. And sure enough, like here we are with him, you know, getting an, an open spot now here with the Dodgers. So, uh, Keyboom, kind of the, the same situation. We'll see. In I mean, I mean, come spring training, if, if he's Keyboom is going to be one of those, you know, that will you know go up you know his ADP will rise significantly if he comes starts out hot in spring training and they say you know that he's gonna start the season as as a third baseman so yeah I mean that's a good call I'm right there with you my thing and when you look at him people he had that small sample size last year Mm -hmm. and he came up and struck out 37 percent of the time but he still walked nine percent which is actually like league average he still walked 9.3 percent which is either just under or just about league average I can't think off the top of my head which one it is, but I know it's right there. But when you look at his minor league track record, if you look at the last three years, he's pretty much never walked less than – he. one time he walked under 12.5% in the last three years since 2017. So also not to mention, if you look at the K rates, he hasn't struck out more than 22 – or sorry, 21.6% of the time was his highest K rate in the minors since 2016 where he struck out 27.7% of the time. So essentially that's a confusing way of saying that the strikeout rate – 
was very uncharacteristic of him. The walk rate was a little low. I think he, you know, he came up, got excited, maybe pressed a little bit, try to keep, try to keep, you know, his starting spot and stay up. Mm-hmm. I think that track, and this is the same thing I saw in Brandon Lowe or Lau, sorry, Brandon Lau, another guy I'm really high on, is because he had similar plate discipline as far as like in the minor leagues. And although no, it will not directly translate. It it doesn't. It rarely does, or it takes time to. Mm-hmm. But it's still such a solid base for. Uh, it's such a solid base to bet on as far as like when you have a player with good plate discipline, plate discipline in general typically, uh, re- you know, translates well to the to the majors. But obviously, there's growing pains. So I think at the end of the day, I'm going to bet on the minor league track record, the little bit of power he's developed, the really good plate discipline, and. At the end of the day, just hope that it comes together in spring training and he gets a job. Because, again, at his current price, there's value to be had. And it's to a point, it's at, at, at his current price, Keyboom I'm speaking of, I'm speaking of, at Keyboom's current price, if he does not win that job, it did not hurt you come draft day. You can either keep him on your bench, put him in an NA slot, or drop him for the next best thing off the waiver wire. So, yeah. do you have any more risers or do, are we ready to go to the fallers? No, we can go right on to the follow uh, the fallers. Fallers, <laughs> fallers, <laughs> man. Um, one of my fallers ties into the to shed long being you know my riser in D Gordon. D Gordon, I, I dropped significantly down my rankings with the news that it's about time he's probably <laughs> gonna be just a part time player if anything. Yeah, so I, I dropped him down to thirty five uh, in my rankings. Uh, you know, if he's not getting the playing time. Really, he was just one of those, you know, just empty speed sources. Um, but if he's not even not if he's not even going to be on the field, I mean, I, I don't see myself rostering him in, in anything else but the deepest of leagues. Yeah, I I was ahead of that. I, I, he's at thirty, and I just left him there because just for like if someone wants to grab him for speed, like I don't, I won't draft him. He's not going to be on any of my teams this year. Right. I, I'm going to have zero shares. And that was even before the news, after the news, it didn't matter. Like, after the news, yeah, I'm probably – you're right. Next time I update my second base rankings again, he's probably not going to be in them. I just left – I literally left him at 30 thinking, meh, I'd rather have a rise over him. I probably should put a rise over him. That was my fault. So, you know what? Let's make that, let's make that switch. Rise, D. Gordon is out of my top 30. There you go. <laughs> a rise yeah. plays second base, right? Like, am, I, am I even saying the right name? Or is Rise a shortstop? I don't know. Yeah, we have a rise in our second base uh, rankings Do we? here. Okay, good. Yeah, Cause, yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know anymore, and I don't care because uh, Gordon's got to go. I don't care if I have to make up a second baseman. Um, my the one the men guy I mentioned that dropped four shed long as well, and this one hurt me because I actually have a couple early shares of him is Tommy Lastella, and that goes mm-hmm. back to that goes back to the Jock Peterson signing. I I, I purposely didn't want to mention that before because Tommy Lastella was supposed to be leading off in front of Mike Trout. That likely just went away. And now he has to fight for more playing time. I mean, he already had to fight for playing time, I think, as it is with David Fletcher. But now there's a chance that, you know, him and David Fletcher are just going to be going back and forth as far as who's going to be the starter and all that. So let me pull up their roster resource, um, see exactly what they think is going to be happening. Right now they have a Stella at second base, and it looks like David Fletcher on the bench. That's how I would assume it would, it would – that's how I assume it would happen. But – you can't just assume that stuff. Right. So, but with that said, like I mentioned, I, Tommy Lestella going from leading off to hitting anywhere from seventh to ninth significantly lowers his value because at least he was giving you the batting average 
with a little bit of pop and like you knew you were getting 100 runs. Now the runs are going to be not gone, but they're going to be, you know, significantly impacted. The power might still be there, but in the back. So he's still good late batting average source, but I had to move him down because I'm like, I just, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of taking just an empty batting average and a potential platoon partner as well. So, yeah. It hurts me because I really liked LaSalle this year for the value. Yeah. I thought he was a great value. So it hurt me to drop him out of my top 30. I think he's fringe. I think you can argue top, you know, right there in the 31, 32, 33 range. Heck, he can even, you know what? I'd rather have him over D. Gordon. So if I have to, I'll put Lestella at 30. I don't care. But like, D. Gordon's got to go. But <laughs> either way, I guess at the end of the day, what I'm saying is that I'm just really upset with Lestella, with Lestella's uh, value change. And unfortunately, I got it. I had to move him down. Yeah, no, I I get that. Um, I guess. So and, who's your next guy? I guess I, I have to. I have not transitioned to you at all tonight. My apologies. I'm a little thrown. <laughs> I'm a little thrown off today. Like I'm I'm a little thrown off tonight. I don't know what's going on. I can't seem to gather my brain. I'm all over the place. So George, who's your second faller? Oh man, you're you're good. You're good. So uh, my second fall faller. Man, you, you got me over here thinking yeah. faller. <laughs> faller. Faller. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Now, my second faller here, uh, now it's hard to find followers for second base just because of just, you know, how shallow. We found two. The, right, <laughs> yeah, two here. My second one here is uh, Luis Urias, and this was just with the news uh, recently of him breaking his hammock bone. Yeah. Um, so he was playing, I think he was playing in the Mexican League. Um, I, I want to say yeah, something like that. I know what you're talking about for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and he broke his hammock bone. He's going to be out, you know, six to eight weeks, might not be ready for the regular season. So he was actually someone that I kind of liked, you know, with the move to Milwaukee. Uh, but unfortunately, if he's not going to be ready to start the season, we can look back at anecdotal evidence of, of people coming back strong from the Hammett bone. Like, you know, Matt Olson is a perfect example from last season. But uh, not everyone, not everyone's a power hitter like Matt Olson. So we're not sure, not really sure how it's going to affect um, Louis Sirius. So he was someone that I had been targeting because he was going around pick 300. Uh, so he was someone I was targeting there just after pick 250 or so uh, that I wanted to take a chance on in, in Milwaukee. But now I'm a little more skeptical on that. You, you actually hit the, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Urias, I actually had, he was actually in my original top 30. I had to move him down as well, mm-hmm. but that's just strictly based on injury. But you know, a guy that every time I look at him, I feel they need to move him down. Is uh, Michael Chavis? Chavis? I always, I still can't say his name right. It's is it Chavis? I'm not sure, but it's just <laughs> funny that you say that because I had literally just done that as well. <laughs> Every time, it's just like I, I, I don't know. I'm not big on him. Nothing's really inspiring me to like the multi-positional eligibility is nice. And what should be everyday playing time, of course, at this position, I, I, I get there. There's upside here. You can't deny that, but you look at the strikeout rates, you look at the minor league track record, and nothing suggests he's better than – I mean, obviously he's hit for 300 and like double A and, and whatnot, but nothing really suggests he's better than a 250-260 hitter with 20 to 25 home run power, which isn't bad. But, again, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too low on him. You see the carry, it was almost 30% last year. And it's just like he's always been a somewhat, you know, iffy guy with the carry anyway in the minors, always always hovering around that mid-20% range. I'm sorry, 25, like around that, yeah, mid 20, so about 25% range. And again, not not because there's no direct correlation, 29% could very realistically be the guy he is. But, and the, and yeah, and the walk rate, 
sorry, no, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at projections. He had a 33.2% strikeout rate last year. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was looking at the ATC projections. Well, Arrow Cohen is the writer of the year, so you know it's fine. But <laughs> uh but yeah, he's uh sorry, yeah, I was looking at the wrong thing. So yeah, he struck out even worse than the projections suggest he'll strike out. So yeah, it's it's a scary profile, and I'm not a fan of somebody who strikes out that much. That could really bottom out your batting average. And you're talking about a guy with middling power, you know? Like, I don't know. I'm right there with you. Like I said, I actually had just been moving him down my rankings. It was just, it was actually more about me looking at the other players around him and seeing things that I liked more. So it was more of me kind of just pushing players up, like Lau and McMahon and Keyboom. And uh, then it was for me. I will get Lau. I will get Lau in your top 20. That is my goal. (laughs) He is. He is. He's on 19 now. Oh, me. good. I'll get him yeah. in your top 15. Probably not. <laughs> I, actually, I, actually moved, I actually moved him. I had him really high at one point. I think I moved him down a couple spots just because I had to be more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you pretty much touched on all the points with, with Chavis. His contact rate was just terrible. And you look at the, that team. I mean, where is he going to play? He's, gonna, he's, he's projected to play second base. But they did pick up Jose Peraza. Uh, they've got Mitch Moreland, you know, probably in some sort of a platoon at first base. So if Chavis comes out and, and that contact rate hasn't improved and he's striking out 33, 34% of the time and uh, gets off to a slow start, that could definitely impact his playing time. I know they have uh, another prospect who is kind of in the similar similar type of kind of profile that could be ready to to come up early on in, in Bobby Dahlbeck. So, well, uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I guess, Chavis is definitely risky there. <laughs> and, that's, and then, and then, of course, if you want to just go look at the baseball savant page, it is ugly. <laughs> Other than sprint speed and outs above average being being solid, the hard hit rate is twenty seventh percentile. Average exit velo is forty fourth. Xwoba and XBA are bottomed out. Like one, XBA is what fifth percentile. 14th percentile for X-Wobo. Like, the X-Slug is 29th percentile. You get my point? Like, if, if you're depending on power from a guy whose power metrics suggest that they aren't that good, that's another red flag. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just – I'm, and I just feel bad because I know there's so many people that are in on them, and it's like I'm just trying to see why. Is it – are they just banking on upside? Because I see that there is upside, sure. Because, you know, these metrics don't, you know, they don't tell the full story. They just try to paint the picture that you – and then you are – kind of stuck putting this, all the stuff together into what becomes the puzzle or you hope for it to be the puzzle. And mm-hmm. Chavis just is uninspiring. So, yeah, I keep moving him down. That's the guy that keeps falling. And we discussed him at nauseum at this point. Uh, is there anybody else that is falling for you a little bit? Howie Kendrick kind of stands out. With somebody Because of all the signings, he kind of lost that little shine he had for a minute. But, right, yeah, yeah. So he was someone who – yeah, I didn't mind taking in a daily in a deep daily league where I could platoon him, you know, against lefties. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it's a little murkier now because they did bring back Ryan Zimmerman. Um, they have uh, who else do they have there at? Uh, oh, at I, first just, I, base? I, I, I went through them all. They have uh, Eric Thames too. Yeah, Thames. That's right. I was trying to think of the other addition they made. Uh, right. So they have Thames, Zimmerman, uh, Ken, uh, Kendrick. Um, and he could play other positions too. I mean, he could play second base, he could play third base, but which, which is what you know might be the argument against Kiboom. But I want to bet it. Like I, I want to bet on Kiboom 
earning a spot. Like well, they have no reason to hold him down anymore. So, right. Yeah. That's yeah. No. So that's there. a good call. I, I did move uh, Kendrick down my my rankings a little bit too. Um. What about? I noticed I, I moved him down a little bit. Maybe I'm just being optimistic that they're gonna change things around. But Nick Solak is kind mm-hmm. of squeezed out. Of, he's kind of squeezed for playing time right now. They're they're not even showing him as a starter. Which, by the way, really, it really upsets me because they signed Todd Frazier, and Todd Frazier they put they plugged him in at least on Savant they plugged him in at third base. Why wouldn't they just leave leave Solak at third base, put Frazier at first base over Guzman or right. Higg, and there you go. You have Solak in the position. You have Solak in there. You have Frazier in there, and you can just sit Ronald Guzman. He wasn't even a starter for them the whole year last year. So I don't understand why they feel the need to have Guzman in there. Maybe it's just roster resource. But I think I think the reason why I'm still kind of optimistic is I think Solak will get four games a week. I think just being a super utility. I'm still like buying in to Solak. Like, I have him 23rd in in my rankings. I'm not sure. Well, you you and I were the high guys because I have him mm-hmm. 24. Oh no, sorry. You mean you were? I meant the other way around. Mean you were actually the low guys over here at Fantrax. You look at the consensus rankings right now, 18th, 20th, 21st, and then mean you have him 23rd, 24th. Like we kind of, I don't know if we bumped them down, but I know I bumped them down because I had them as high as like I think I flip flop him and Keyboom to be honest. I had them kind of right right there with each other. I had them mm-hmm. flip flop, I believe, because I had Solak. I was really aggressive on Solak because I really liked his his profile, and I just think as if he, I I just don't see how he's not a starter over a good. I don't think I don't see how they don't put Guzman and that Frazier's flop. I just don't see how Solak mm-hmm. is being the one squeezed. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like maybe he's one. He's one you have to monitor. Same thing goes with Garrett Hampson. I, I moved him down a little bit, but you have to monitor his situation because you just don't know the playing time. There's just so much going on right now down there. Yeah, up up there, yeah, mile high, up there. You gotta go up high. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm glad you brought up Hampson because that brings me to my first sleeper. Um, I oh, have. Yeah. We still have sleepers. <laughs> right. We still we still got a few sleepers uh, here with. Ryan McMahon, because I actually think Ryan McMahon goes into the season as a second baseman. I think if Hanson's going to get playing time, I think he's going to get be in the outfield. And McMahon, I, I like a lot of what what he can do. It just you look at his Statcast page, and you know he hits the ball very hard. The thing is, he hits too many ground balls. His ground ball rate was over fifty percent. So he's got to fix that. But when I'm looking at players like that, I, I'm taking a chance on that potential because uh, when he does hit the ball in the air, he hits it. He, he does a really good, you know, he makes good impact. He had 95.8 mile per hour um, average X velocity on, on line drives and fly balls. So, I mean, if he can make that adjustment in cores, yeah, I mean, he's, he could be great. You know, so one last follower plays right into my first sleeper and John Birdie kind of is falling for me because of all the signings and whatnot. But somebody that managed to not be affected and actually benefited from the trade and all that is, is Isan Diaz. Like he, was, like, he was all the rage last year, you know, finding a swing in the minors, putting up 26 home runs and five stolen bases with a walk rate. Like, this is AAA, his AAA numbers. Isan Diaz in AAA had 26 home runs, five stolen bases. Was that, 90 plus 70? So, oh, sorry, 159 because it was actually 89. 159 combined home runs, uh, sorry, combined home runs, combined runs in RBI, 11.3% walk rate, and a 21% K rate, 22.1% K rate. I cannot speak tonight. With a triple slash of 305, 395, 578. Obviously, he was not going to keep that tear up when he hit the majors. We're looking at a guy with a power speed combo, came up, struggled, you know, 
to find a swing, did strike out more than you'd like, and he kind of has shown to be kind of a strikeout guy in the past. So that is concerning, but the walks were still kind of there at 9.5% last year. Again, this was his first taste of the minors. And we're looking at a guy we're – we're talking about a guy that's free in drafts, and I don't understand how the strikeouts are there. when You, have, you know what it is? You must be overly patient because just in that small sample with a strikeout rate almost 30%, he actually had better than league average swinging strike rate at 10%, which was actually a 1.1% better. And his O swing, which is his chase rate, mean, meaning for those who aren't too sure what that is, is um, an O swing is basically – it's calculating how much you swing outside the zone, basically. And mm-hmm. his, his own rate – or sorry, his swing his, – his chase rate was 25.9%, which is actually like about roughly 5.5% better than league average. So you're looking at a guy with, with above average – swing strike rate above average chase rate it makes no sense why he had so much so many strikeouts and then when you look at it a little deeper you realize he was just maybe a little maybe he actually needs to be more aggressive because he had a below average swing rate a below average contact rate even though it was slightly below average it's still below average but only outside the zone and overall because the actual zone contact rate was relative pretty much league average so all in all i think he just needs to be a little more aggressive and with his plate discipline obviously he has a good eye I think we can see him take that step we thought we might have saw him when he came up. He obviously let us down. Maybe it's my Marlins bias coming out. I think there's actually something to like here when you slow down. <laughs> we actually slow down and not, not just ramble through the stats, but we actually get just to read them. <laughs> you, you, there's a lot to like here in Isan Diaz's profile and the fact that it looks like he should be poised for everyday playing time on a team that has no reason not to give him every chance to succeed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, now, I, I just sold myself on him. I actually wasn't that high on him until I just talked about him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to look into him a little bit more. So thanks for pointing him out. I'm going to be a homer with my second sleeper pick, yeah, too. There you go. There you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, I'm going to go with Mauricio Dubon. I mean, I've been hyping him up, you know, this offseason. And um, I have him here as, as my second base sleeper. I think that uh, I, I think right now a lot of people are concerned about, you know, his playing time. But, I mean, I think between second base, shortstop, outfield, Dubon's going to get plenty, plenty of playing time. He, he posted a video the other day at, you know, doing outfield drills saying, you know, ready for the season and stuff. So, yeah, I think he can actually be, you know, the center fielder come opening day. And, and I think he can hit at the top of the lineup. He, he doesn't strike out. He makes a lot of contact. And, you know, he, he came over from, from Milwaukee and – I mean, he's had some success, a ton of success in the in the minor leagues. He has three three seasons of thirty plus steals. Now, what happened was he tore his ACL in May of tw- of twenty eighteen, uh, but he was on a pretty good pace before that. He had stolen six bases in in twenty seven games. Uh, he tore his ACL uh, last season. He comes back from the torn ACL and he steals thirteen bases. Uh, he did hit twenty four home runs. Now he hadn't really been a power hitter before, so you got to wonder you know, triple A, MLB ball, you know, they're playing with the juice ball down there too. Um, now he's two years removed from the ACL. So I think, you know, we could possibly see him run a little more, maybe 15 to 20 steals is what I'm looking at for Dubon. And I mean, he, he did hit four home runs in, in 111 play appearances. What he does, he hit them all to the pool side. And the good thing is in San Francisco, I mean, as a right-handed hitter, it's a little more forgiving than it is for left-handed hitters because he's not trying to hit it over a brick wall and, and into the cove. So, yeah, I think I think Dubon could be a little sneaky little power source as well. You know, 
between a dozen to maybe 15 home runs. The way he generate he's been generating his power is just by pulling the ball a lot and, and making solid contact when he does. Uh, last season, when when he pulled you know line drives and, and fly balls, he had an average exit velocity of 97.4 on, on those on those batted balls. So he's squaring it up good when he is pulling it uh, to to that left field in San Francisco. So I, I like Dubon. I like Dubon to hit at the top of the lineup and uh, hit for a solid average, maybe you know up upwards of. 275 280 and, and maybe go 15 and 15 I think that's kind of a, a high-end expectation for, for Dubon and so yeah I kind of like him there I like Dubon but I'll never get him because I always because yeah I don't know why someone's always higher <laughs> than someone's usually just a little higher than him on him than me I should say and not I, I think me and you were both on the Dubon train at one point and then you kind of surpassed my Dubon love although <laughs> our early ranks have us pretty much right neck and neck and we were the high guys on him. Like two guys didn't even rank him in the top forty, and mm-hmm. you have him thirty four. I have him at thirty six. So we yeah. again, like we do rank him because I think there's a little power speed combination to be had there, and that's what I like about him. Like you mentioned, but yeah, next guy. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. And, and last season he did he did give uh, Brandon Crawford some time off and and played shortstop uh, a little bit. And if he plays outfield as well, I mean he could have triple eligibility between second, short, and, and outfield. So that could be very valuable, like in, in daily leagues. For sure. Uh, my one of my last guys here is gonna be Nick Madrigal, and I think uh, I don't know when he's gonna be up. But I see what the White Sox have done two straight off seasons, and mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm done questioning them trying to sign their young guys. I don't know if they're trying to sign them. I don't know if they're just going to play the waiting game. But every projection, every projection system projects that he's going to play 108 games or more. So what is that? About a month and a half off, basically. It's not like so he'd be coming up mid-May. Yeah. Which at that point you're looking at a guy that every every projection system suggests 16 steals or. Actually, sixteen steals or more. So we're looking at a sixteen steal floor if we look at that, and we're and a, and a batting average that should be about two eighty or better. That's what that that is literally all three projection systems between ATC, depth charts, and steamer. We're looking at a guy that it's really impressive. In twenty eighteen, he literally, if you all three stops combined, only a four point seven percent K rate, mm-hmm. and like oh god, the guy strikes out literally. That's his highest K rate in the two years he's been playing we're talking 4.7 in 2018 and then at no stop last year did he have a strikeout rate greater than four percent his highest was 3.7 percent and he and he walked literally twice as much as he struck out at every stop last year yeah that coincided with a great on-base percentage and batting average he makes a crap ton of contact he's he's little to no power output don't bank on even he is like the he is essentially a prime d gordon batting average and stolen bases that's like that's the best way to put it. He that's what he should be assuming that everything correlates to the majors. But I think there's a better hit tool here. I think he can hit for a steady 300 easily. Yeah, maybe not this year, but it, but I think there I think 270 280 because of his speed and hit tool. Like he'll put a bunch of balls in play, and all he has to do is beat him out. You know, he's one of those guys. So he'll be a high Babbitt guy. He should be. And assuming he takes all, let's see his all fields. Uh, he has been pulling the ball more. At least he did in triple in double A last year in triple A. But typically he was he had more of an off fields approach. But he's still he's actually a really good oppo hitter too. Even though he's pulling the ball more with, at over forty percent, he actually has over thirty five percent at double A and triple A last year. He hit over thirty five percent of his balls opposite field. So 
seems like it's one way or the other, in or out. There's no real up the middle game. So kind of cool to see that because that shows that he'll just go any direction with it. Yeah. And not really force it, push anything. So I don't know. I just like the profile. I think he's a sneaky late round uh, batting average and speed source. Kind of like he could probably – he's probably going to outproduce the – you know what? I'm moving him above D. Gordon because I think he's going to outproduce D. Gordon this year. Yep. <laughs> like D. Gordon <laughs> just keep he's the bane of ours. Like I, I, I D. Gordon's former Marlin, known to be one of the nicest guys in baseball, from my understanding. He's supposed to be a really good guy. Nothing against him personally, but this is a fantasy list. D. Gordon, I'm sorry, buddy. I hate to be so harsh, but you got to move down again. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that call. I like the magical call. I like all all the points that you made. Uh, just the aggressiveness that Chicago has shown with their prospects, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think he'll be too long for, uh, for a call up. And uh, the speed, I mean, that lineup is obviously improving. If you look at, you're looking at like a good three category producer with runs, uh, stolen bases, and and batting average. So I didn't want to, I didn't, yeah, wanna, I, didn't I didn't want to give him runs because I just don't know where they're gonna bat him. He should be a lead. He's a leadoff type, but will he lead off this year? That's to be that's yet to be determined. I mean, we don't even know where they're going to bat Robert or Robert. So that's another thing. So if people aren't too aware, maybe they haven't been playing fantasy baseball long or just don't follow the White Sox. The White Sox w- went ahead and they, they didn't play these games. They didn't play the whole let's hold them down a month. They signed Eloy Jimenez to a long-term deal last offseason. They signed Luis Robert this year to a long-term deal. So either Madrigal can get signed or they just might not keep him down so long because they just don't treat their prospects that way, it seems like, of late. So that's where I'm getting this idea from, just so in case somebody maybe, again, not everybody listening knows the situation there. So I just wanted to give that a little bit of background, mm-hmm. not just assume that everyone knows why I'm saying that Madrigal might not be in the minors long or might not be in the minors at all. So I think that's going to do it for me for sleepers. Do you have any more? Uh, no, no, that was actually all I had here on my notes. So I think we did a good job go- <laughs> talk, <laughs> going talk, through. Well, we talked about a little bit, everybody. Again, this wasn't mm. supposed to, this turns into like a, almost like a full, uh, full second base preview, but it, it, we, well, there's a lot of names we didn't talk about, but this was just trying to highlight names that we like, that we've realized are moving up our ranks, moving down our ranks. D Gordon. Um, <laughs> just want to reiterate that one more time. <laughs> uh, no, it's just one of those things. Like, again, we wanted to highlight, movers went up or down and a couple sleepers at the position and honestly some of our movers are technically sleepers so we get it's almost a full second base sleeper podcast really when you when you start looking into the names we gave so yeah yeah because when you i mean when you look at second base it's like you've got everyone's a sleeper (laughs) exactly i mean mostly because you've got like a solid top like 13 and then after that everyone is just full of question marks whether it's playing time or particular skills there's just so many question marks after that. It's not that maybe that the talent isn't there uh there's just a lot of a lot of a lot of question marks so a, a lot that's going to be you know to be determined exactly and hopefully we'll touch on that at a later time but as always guys you can follow us on twitter i'm at mike underscore curlin george is at roto underscore nino you can find bases loaded pod at bases loaded pod on twitter and instagram guys I didn't mention at the top of the show, but if you have, if you're still listening and you have a moment, please hit us with a five star rating and review. It's greatly appreciated. It truly goes a long way. Other than that, guys, we've, we're just coming at you with as many shows as we could possibly get out to you. We've been trying. We initially came in trying to do two a week. We've been doing three a week. If we can get four a week, that'd be great. But we're really just trying to give you all we got. So we appreciate you guys listening as always, and we'll talk to you soon.